Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. On last week's message, um, God told us in Acts 2, 43, that many signs and wonders were done by the apostles. We get a specific example of that in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 3 this morning. The work of the risen and ascended Jesus, it continues by his Holy Spirit through followers of Christ in this account of the healing of a lame man. Um, The followers of Jesus, they are obedient to the directions Jesus gave in verse 1 to go and make disciples, to be witnesses of Christ here, there, and everywhere. So we see the church on mission, and uh, a man's life is completely transformed, and God is praised and glorified. Let's pray. Father, guide our hearts, um, reveal your truth to us in this word this morning. You've given us a task. It's monumental uh, to, to turn the world upside down for you, but we see how it can be done as we study the pages of Acts. The same power that uh, you made available to these initial followers of Jesus, that power is available to us. God, help us uh, to be a church on mission. In order for that to happen, we're going to have to be individuals who compose that church who are on mission. Help us understand what your pattern is for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And that's what we have. We have a pattern for us as followers of Jesus today here for what being a church on mission needs to look like by God's standard. There has to be missional going. Uh, Missional going is active. Both the title of this whole sermon series and what the church has presented as doing throughout the book of Acts is, is it reflects this. It's active. Um, we have been given a mission and achieving it empowered by the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. It requires action or we could say activity on our part. It is, it's really an interesting dynamic. Um, I mean, we saw Peter spring into action in chapter 2 when the crowd began to wonder and question how all of these followers of Christ were speaking God's word to them in their various individual languages. Peter went into action. He began preaching the gospel to them. And last week we learned of the result of Peter's obedience to Christ's call to be on mission. Over 3,000 that one day. Over 3,000 came to trust Christ as their Savior. Now, now Peter didn't wake up that morning, call the other disciples together, <clears throat> formulate a plan to go canvas the city, instigate a, a revival or or set up a tent for a camp meeting. He was just presented with an opportunity. And he acted on it, didn't he? Uh, when Jesus gave his followers, both then and, and us here this morning, when he gave us the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the command from Jesus in the original language is, as you are going, make disciples. Go ye therefore make disciples. Literally, as you are going, make disciples. So um, as you are going about your lives at work, at home, in your neighborhood, in your church, in every facet of your life. When you go into a restaurant, when you go shopping, as you are going, make disciples. 
But there has to be a going. Missional going is active. It sure is here in verse 1. We find Peter and John, they're going. It says that they went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. So see, there were two major uh, public corporate prayer meetings that would be held at the temple each day. One in the morning at 9 a.m. That's what they would call the third hour. Uh, Their day started at 6 a.m. And then one in the afternoon, a prayer meeting uh, at 3 in the afternoon. That's what they would call the ninth hour. And so far, we have learned how important prayer was to the early church in the first two chapters uh, of Acts. We find disciples of Christ in frequent and fervent prayer together often. That's when the Holy Spirit comes. Uh, That's when uh, what happened at Pentecost uh, happens. And verse 1 tells us that Peter and John were still going up to the temple, to the regularly scheduled temple prayer meetings. And um, in doing so, they're just going about their lives as Jesus followers. It'd be much like you coming to church this morning. Um, Here they're assembling with others to worship God through prayer together. And please realize the church on mission is not an activity or action that is restricted to some scheduled summer mission trip or ministry opportunity or or some specific endeavor the church agrees to participate in. God's design is for the church to be on mission as we are going or as we are going about our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, when we progress to verse 2, yes, we will see them being on mission to a specific individual here. But verse 1 presents Peter and John to us as just going, being active in their typical daily lives. We have no record here that they knew who they were going to meet that day or what amazing things would happen as a result. And the reason I'm stressing this is we need to align maybe our concept of a church being on mission with a directive that we're actually given in God's Word, the pattern that we find here. Uh, Awesome passage that we read last week at Pentecost. 3,000 people getting saved. And I'd love to see that. I wish I could go back in time. I wish we could see that today. We should work toward that. But while it's wonderful, that was not the recorded typical way that the church was on mission throughout the the book of Acts or uh, it's not the typical recorded way that we find people coming to trust in Christ as Savior in the New Testament. It's individual Christians being on mission, sharing the gospel, making disciples among their neighbors, within their community, at their place of employment. While they went to the market, they shared Christ as they were going. And the church on mission isn't something that's relegated to pastors or missionaries or evangelists. It's not something that's restricted to a planned church outreach event. It's something that all followers of Jesus, the entire church, is directed to be active in as we are going, just like Peter and John are here. Well, it's also intentive. Uh, That whole as we are going active part doesn't mean that we're not also to be intentional. There's nothing wrong uh, with whole church designed and undertaking great commission outreach activities um, as long as we don't restrict disciple making to those. Verse 2 As Peter and John are going to the temple for worship, they come across an individual, don't they? He needs to hear about and trust in Jesus. God God scheduled this divine appointment between Peter and John and this man. And Peter and John were attentive. They identified this man as someone that God wanted them to be on mission to. He's described here in verse 2, unable to walk ever since he was born. Uh, Later on in Acts 4.22, we find out God's Word tells us that this man was over 40 years old. So he had a long-term chronic health struggle. 
totally impacted every area of his life. He couldn't work. Couldn't earn a living. He depended on family and friends who would carry him to a place where he could depend on the kindness and charity of people who were coming to worship just so that he could go on existing, make it through another day. Forty years of this. And then verses 3 to 7, we're going to learn that Peter and John were attentive in there as you are going, active, living on mission. You know, what for so many people was probably just an opportunity to, to um, help someone at best, you know, share a little kindness, make the world a better place. Peter and John, they saw it. They identified this as an opportunity to have a gospel conversation with this man. We need to ask ourselves that question. As we are going at work, in our communities, about our days, uh, even in a restaurant, does God present us with these kind of opportunities? Are we attentive as we are actively living on mission? Do you see situations like this as interruptions or do you identify them as intentional sovereignty of God provided opportunities to be used of God to transform someone's life, just like Jesus did for you? <clears throat> Our pattern for church uh, being on mission, it continues to unfold here with missional giving. And I'm not talking about money. That's not what we see here. In fact, what does Peter say? I don't have silver and gold. Missional giving. First of all, it's personal. Peter and John gave this man a couple of things. First of all, they gave him their attention. Now, what verse 3 says? He asked them for alms. That's a word meaning an offering that would be given to God, uh, but given to this man as a form of worship to God and kindness to him. Well, of course, he asked for alms. That's been the story of his whole life. He, he had no other way to keep on living. You think this is what he wanted out of life? No, nah, I, I doubt it. Uh, but it's only new. Back in verse 2, it, it identified a specific location, the beautiful gate. It was a specific gate into part of the temple. And he chose to position himself there <clears throat> for help. We'll look at more on that later. I suppose he chose this place because maybe he successfully received help from some people before at that gate. Uh, and I suppose there were also plenty of people who didn't help him out. Or, or maybe they did, but they didn't do what Peter and John did here. In verse 4, it says that they fastened their eyes on him. And then they told him, look at us. Now, I believe that was an extreme rarity for this fella. Don't you? When you're driving in Fayetteville and you see someone asking for alms, what's your typical response? You know, um, I say that because a typical human response to situations like this is to ignore the person. Maybe to be compassionate and giving, but that's about the extent. What did Peter tell him? Hey, look at us. And the man did. I bet he did. Verse 5 tells us he, he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something from them. He was there looking for help to go on living for another day, just to have enough for his basic needs. And here's a couple of fellows who, who not only give him attention, uh, they ask him to look at them. So surely they're going to give him some alms. And this guy simply wanted to be assisted with life. But God had something way better for him, didn't he? Um, Jesus was going to transform his life. And so many people, even us, even we who have been transformed by Christ, so many times we fail to expect really big things from God. We're willing to settle for so much less than what God wants for us and that what God wants to give to us. 
And our low expectations, too often they rob us of what could be through faith in God's amazing grace. Isn't that what God tells us in James 4, 2 and 3? You have not because you ask not. And you ask and receive not because you ask amiss so that you might consume it on your lusts. We have not because we don't ask. And even when we do ask, too often we don't ask for the right thing or for the right reason. Don't settle, Christian. I'm a little kid. They're probably going to sing it today. I mean, whenever we did children's church, we sang that. But do you remember that song you sang as a little kid? My God is so big, right? So strong. Little kids know this. Is our God, is our God big? This, and this guy, he just wants, he just wants some alms. That's what Peter tells this fellow in, in verse 6. I don't have what you're asking for. Silver and gold have I not. But what I do have, such as I have, I'm going to give you. He already gave him his attention. Peter says, buddy, I've got something better for you. I, I, I'm going to give you what I have. And, and it's way better. It's better than what you're asking for here. Do you see the personal connection that has to be a part of missional giving? Uh, I am so thankful to be a part of this church um, that participates in missional giving financially in that aspect, honestly, to a, a greater degree than any other church that I've ever been associated with. Uh, but I'm even more thankful that this is a church that doesn't just throw money and call that being on mission. I praise God that you are active, that, that you go, <laughs> and that you're attentive. Keep doing that. Keep doing it more. Keep being personal. Verse 4, they fasten their eyes on him. That's missional giving. It's giving of yourself. Give him his attention. That's being a church on mission. They said, look at us. They recognized his needs, but both temporal and eternal. And they gave him what they had. When we are actively, attentively, personally being on mission, please don't ever fail to recognize that person's greatest need. We have got to do what we do. We got to keep on doing it and even more so that we can minister as a church to people's physical and temporal needs. I'm so glad we do it. Things like, like Dental Bus and, and you who go to Second Chance Weekly, uh, Crossroads, our, our various partner ministries in, in New York and, and Moldova, and there's so many more, and, and in, here, there, everywhere, your sewing group. In all of these being on mission endeavors, I praise God that you are helping to alleviate people's physical and temporal struggles. But don't forget why you do it. Always, always, because we are more concerned with, because we want to minister to and be used of God to meet their spiritual and eternal need. It's so much greater, isn't it? Never forget that. Because, because what a tragedy it would be for us to be used of God to lessen or, or to remove some physical or, or temporal thing that he has allowed in their lives with a purpose of opening their heart to their greater spiritual and eternal need to receive Christ as their Savior. What a tragedy if we met their physical and temporal needs, but we never gave them Jesus like Peter does here. What a tragedy to allow someone to continue on the wide road to destruction, just a little bit better clothed or maybe better fed. We must do what Jesus always did. We must do what Peter and John do here, always meaning their physical and temporal needs, but so that we can point them to Jesus who will take care of their greater spiritual and eternal need. We have to give them Jesus. Missional giving, it's not just personal, it's perpetual. That's what we're talking about here because that's what they gave this man, didn't they? They gave him Jesus Christ. At the end of verse 6, Peter says to the man, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Silver and gold, the typical gift you've been getting for 40 years, I don't have that. 
That might have got him another day's needs met. But what they gave him was perpetual. And met his needs, physical and temporal, spiritual and eternal, and did so forever. And note that Peter and John only had this to give because they had it in their own lives already. So often we forget verse 18 of that great commission in Matthew 18, or Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus says, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go therefore. Jesus says, as you are going, go in my power. That power is ours, just like it was Peter and John's here. It's given to us by Jesus so that we go therefore and use it to bring others to Christ, use it to make disciples of Christ. And that power is what guarantees great commission success. Praise God, it's not up to us. Praise God, we don't have to seal the deal. We don't have to close the sale when we give out the gospel and work to make disciples. We just obey. We just uh, faithfully do what he has asked us to do in his power, and he does. <laughs> he does his work of bringing people to faith in him. Now, I don't know how much time elapsed between verse 6 and verse 7, between Peter finishing that command, rise up and walk, and then Peter taking him by the hand and lifting him up. Oh, but we have an additional example here of missional giving. It's got to be personal. It's got to be perpetual. It requires context. It's got to be personal. Maybe, maybe this man had a pause. Like, rise up and walk. <laughs> what do you think I'm doing here? I don't, I don't know. It doesn't say that. Uh, maybe, maybe there's a pause before he exercised the saving faith in Jesus that, that he eventually displays that we read about here. But Peter gave him a hand, didn't he? He didn't just say rise up and walk and then let that man decide to do what he's going to do. Peter extends his hand. Listen, we can share the gospel and we cannot see an immediate reaction. Sometimes that's frustrating. It might even say, well, I guess that didn't work. and uh, I don't have that power. That power is not available to me. Um, missional going and missional giving patiently continues to compassionately point people to faith in Jesus. When our words might not propel saving faith at that moment, sometimes our hand will be used of God to impart saving faith in someone's life later down the road. Uh, verse 7 says that, that immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. In the original Greek language, this was written, and that, that phrase from the end of verse 7, uh, it uses specific medical uh, terminology. It's pretty cool to, to look at, um, and we would expect nothing less from Luke, who was a doctor who God used as a human author of Acts here. This, this was no progressive miracle. He didn't go to physical therapy and learn how to walk. No, instantaneously, straightway, immediately, and permanently, he received strength. That's the power of God. That's the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Finally, we see missional gaining, verses 8 through 11. And God's glorified here. You know, um, even when we are faithful and obedient and being on mission, we have to be careful not to lose sight of what it's all about. Our purpose as individual followers of Christ. And so our purpose as individual followers of Christ who come together to minister and serve and be on mission, our purpose is not to give out the gospel. That is not our purpose. That is our mission. Our purpose is to glorify God. That is why you were saved, so that you can do that. We have been redeemed so that we can live for God's glory. Now, we were given the Great Commission, and we need to be on mission, pointing people to Christ, because most people don't live for God's glory. 
We're given the great commission. We need to be on mission so that this changes, so that the name of Jesus is treasured here, there, and everywhere. That's what we see happen in verse 8. You look at it. And he leaping up stood, and he walked, and he entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. This man places his faith in Jesus. His life is transformed, and he enters with Peter and John into the temple. And he's walking. And he's leaping, and he's what? Praising God. He's glorifying God. Our purpose as followers of Jesus is to glorify God. And because that can only happen in the lives of those who have trusted in Christ as their Savior, our mission is to make disciples who will do this. You and I making the name of Jesus treasured here, there, and everywhere. God glorified like he is in verse 8. That is our purpose, and that is missional gaining. We gain, and God gains. We gain. Is there anything more wonderful as a reward than experiencing the joy that you have in Jesus now doubled up, multiplied, because you shared the gospel and someone came to trust Christ as Savior? Man, it's, there's no gain like that. Did this man experience gain? Yeah. Because there was missional going and missional giving by Peter and John, he gained a completely new life here and now. He gained eternal life. He gained a joy in Jesus he gained a reconciled relationship with God. That's evident, to, uh, evident in his praise to God with Peter and John. It says in verse 8, into the temple. That phrase there in verse 8, that, that really got me this past week. You know, God had never prohibited this man from going past the beautiful gate. Not once in Scripture will you find a prohibition that says someone who's lame cannot go into the temple and worship. Now, if they were Levitical priests, they would not be able to do those duties and in the next, next room in. But nobody was barred from going past the beautiful gate. Not by God. Not by God's word. But as I'm sure you're aware, in the interactions that Jesus had with the Pharisees and Sadducees, Jewish religious leaders of that time, they often added commandments and they added restrictions to God's law that did. They would call it building a fence around the law so that there's no possible way that you could ever violate it. When you find out in, in, in Jewish extra-biblical literature of that time, Mishnah Kalim 1.8, it prohibited this man from going in. He couldn't go in the temple just because he was lame. Had to sit outside of the beautiful gate. Uh, archaeologists have literally found keep out signs. I mean, basically that's what it says with, with a list of who can't go past this point anymore. So do you realize that it is highly likely that this was this man's first foray into the temple? past the gate called beautiful because Jesus had transformed his life. It was his first time into the temple, his first time having complete reconciled access to what for so many people was symbolic of God's presence and was a means of grace in their lives. And he wasted no time. He went in and he erupted in praise and he gave glory to God. The, the other missional gain besides God being glorified is that the gospel is given Look at verse 9. It says, And all the people saw him walking and praising God. This was no private transformation that happened in a room. It happened right there at the gate going into the temple. Everyone who was there for this afternoon prayer meeting, they knew who this man was. Forty years of asking for alms. Forty years sitting outside the temple. And what's their reaction according to verses 10 and 11? The crowd, whole crowd was filled <laughs> with wonder and amazement. They were greatly wondering. 
Because here, here in front of them was a living, walking, leaping, praising witness to the power of Jesus Christ to transform lives and to do so forever. A, a living, walking, leaping, praising gospel invitation. And we'll see next week that this whole event turned into another sermon opportunity for Peter. You get another two-for-one deal next week, or two weeks from now, sermon within a, a sermon. I wonder how many of that people in that crowd, though, that witnessed this. I wonder how many of them had heard Peter's Pentecost sermon maybe hours earlier, a couple days earlier, but they had not yet believed. And still, it was a seed planted, wasn't it? I wonder how many of them yielded now to the Holy Spirit's call to trust in Christ the Savior after seeing the gospel change happen in this guy's life. That's the gain that occurs when we're obediently on mission, church. <clears throat> the gospel keeps going out. When you get a plus one, that just multiplies because it's a living gospel witness who hopefully is also going to share the gospel. We never know what God is doing or how he will use our obedience by bringing other people to salvation in Jesus eventually. There's way too many people that this quote is attributed to for me to be correct in citing it, um, but it lines up with, with what we're seeing here. You can't force anyone to receive or believe a message that they're not ready to. But don't ever underestimate the power of a seed planted. Never underestimate what the Holy Spirit will do uh, with our obedience, our obediently going on mission, our obediently giving on mission like we've seen here, so that we can gain, so that God will be glorified, and so the gospel will continue to go out. No, we're, we're to be faithful. We're to be obedient to the Great Commission command we've been given. If we're going to be, we have to understand, we have to undertake missional going. Our, our gospel sharing and disciple making, it has to be active, it has to be attentive. We have to recognize when God's presenting us an opportunity to share Christ. Will you ask God right now to make you aware of people in your life who need to hear the gospel in the week ahead? That God empower me to intentionally recognize and then seize, seize that opportunity like Peter and John did here. If you pray that, God will answer that prayer. It's what he wants after all from us. Our, our obedience to Christ's command to make disciples requires missional giving. It's the giving of ourselves. It has to be personal. And that's hard sometimes. Disciple making the Bible way can be messy. Sometimes it can be painful. Was it for Jesus? It was. Don't give up on account of that. No, connect with people in need. There is nothing like personal, compassionate contact to communicate the love of Christ that's changed your life. And when you are used of God to meet a physical, temporal need for, by someone, don't forget that missional giving it has to be perpetual. That's the whole point here. Let God use you to show them that their, their greatest need is spiritual and eternal and can be met only in Jesus Christ in a life that's transformed by him. The power of perseverance to be on mission this way, it will come when we often remind ourselves of missional gaining. The whole point here is to glorify God. We're doing this for God's glory so the name of Jesus will be treasure. And we have to remember that success is promised by God. So even when we're, we're slogging away and we don't see any immediate fruit or not the effect we were hoping for, we have to remember God's promise. When the gospel is given, God will use our faithfulness and being on mission to successfully accomplish what he has designed the gospel to achieve. As the word of God this morning called you to commit to continued missional going and missional giving, also you can 
experience a blessing of missional gaining. As Tommy comes and leads us in a uh, time of response and a hymn of invitation, a commitment that we'll sing together to God. However the Holy Spirit has called you to respond today, I just ask that you'd obey. <laughs>